0: Hi, this is Father Neil here, and welcome to the May 28th episode of the podcast Catechism with Father Neil. Today we'll be looking at numbers 1156 to 1158 of the Catechism. Singing and Music. 1156. The musical tradition of the Universal Church is a treasure of inestimable value, greater even than that of any other art. The main reason for this preeminence is that, as a combination of sacred music and words, it forms a necessary or integral part of solemn liturgy. The composition and singing of inspired psalms, often accompanied by musical instruments, were already closely linked in the celebrations of the Old Covenant. The Church continues and develops this tradition. Address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart. He who sings, prays twice. 1157. Song and music fulfil their function as signs in a manner all the more significant when they are more closely connected with the liturgical action. According to the three principal criteria, beauty, expressive of prayer, the unanimous participation of the assembly at the designated moments, and the solemn character of the celebration. In this way they participate in the purpose of the liturgical words and actions, to give glory to God and the sanctification of the faithful. How I wept. Deeply moved by your hymns, songs, and the voices that echoed through your church, what emotion I experienced in them. The sounds flowed into my ears, distilling the truth in my heart. A feeling of devotion surged within me, and tears streamed down my face, tears that did me good. 1158. The harmony of signs, song, music, words and actions is all the more expressive and fruitful when expressed in a cultural richness of the people of God who celebrate. Hence religious singing by the faithful is to be intelligently fostered so that in devotions and sacred exercises, as well as in liturgical services, in conformity with the Church's norms, the voices of the faithful may be heard. But the texts intended to be sung must always be in conformity with Catholic doctrine. Indeed, they should be drawn chiefly from the sacred scripture and from liturgical sources. Okay, so we continue this section on the celebration. Uh, How is the liturgy celebrated? We're looking before to signs and actions. And today we move on to music, singing and music which is really a very important element of our liturgical celebration. Sometimes there's a tendency to think that music is like an optional extra. And unfortunately, there are many liturgies without music. There are many liturgies, particularly weekday masses or uh, celebrations, for example, when you have a baptism in a church, a christening, oftentimes there's no music. And this this is a bit, again, it's possible. You know, it is possible to celebrate the liturgy without music, but you're depriving yourself of something very beautiful and something that helps the liturgy to be the liturgy. You know, that it, it can help this, as it was saying in eleven fifty-seven. That what is the purpose of liturgy? To give glory to God and to sanctify the faithful. And music and singing can help with this. You know, again, it's not, as I said, absolutely necessary. If somebody is dying and they, uh, you know, and they, uh, and they send for a priest to anoint them or to hear their confession and give them the viaticum, it's not that you need to invite the Vienna Philharmonic into the room to uh, as you're, uh, as you're, as you're administering the last rites. It's not that. Although that being said, music could play a part. You could sing the Salve Regina to sing one of the Marian antiphons. That music could definitely be. Uh, integrated and make that celebration more beautiful, more meaningful. But in general, music is something that is that we need in the church, always to have this music, that this is a, a part of the most, um, part of what it is to be church is to sing. That there are a couple of quotes from St. Augustine, St. Augustine, the, the second long one, about how I wept, deeply moved by your hymns, and that this is Augustine's own conversion, was moved by the singing that he heard and that the words were important and the music. And this is is really a very important aspect of Christian liturgy that we have songs but again I don't want to start a diatribe but so often the music in our liturgies is quite bad that there is a tendency in certain countries uh, not to have singing at all like in Ireland, that many masses don't have, even Sunday masses don't have any, don't have any music at them. And oftentimes uh, the music can be so poor, even when you do have it, that it's you'd kind of think you'd be better off without it. And uh, again, there's a long history of this connected also with the with the persecutions uh, during the um, uh, during the time when the church was underground in Ireland. And that you couldn't celebrate, and there were the mass rocks, and where they were, they were out hunting to find the Catholics and to kill the priest. And sure, you're not going to go singing with a huge choir if the redcoats or whoever are out trying to find the priest to kill him, you don't draw attention to yourself. But that time is long past. We could start singing properly again. And then, I suppose, sometimes in the other countries to make it over professional, to have it somewhat operatic. And that uh, everything is uh, is false, like a false type of music. You know that it just becomes something professional. You know something professional, and that in countries where the music is uh, professionally done, that they can be highly paid positions to have be a parish musician, to be a parish organist, to be a parish uh, to be a cantor in a parish. And oftentimes, this has got nothing to do with the faith. That obviously a worker deserves to be paid. But many times people who don't believe in anything are leaving the assembly. I remember when I was a seminarian in a parish in in America, I was I was flabbergasted to discover that the cantor at the Mass was Jewish. And I just discovered by accident, I asked the priest, I said, Do you mean the man that leads the assembly singing Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again which was part of the, the, the missile back then is somebody who actually doesn't believe in Christ? And he said, well, if you put it like that, it sounds bad. And this is the problem, that we have professionalised the music so that it's not real. And then also the other difficulty is sometimes the music is just soppy. That it's not real music. That it's music that is so um, uh, saccharine, so sickly sweet, that it doesn't really uh, speak to people. Yeah, the music should be uplifting, and there's plenty of it there. There's plenty of good Catholic music that we can use. Around the time of Vatican II, we imported some Protestant hymns as well, and we started using some Protestant hymns. And to be honest, many of them are absolutely fine. Many of them are good hymns. But now we seem to use all this kind of uh, sweet music that doesn't uh, speak to people anymore, that is, um, is unfortunate. unfortunate. Again, I'm not saying that we can't have modern compositions. We can, and probably we must have modern compositions. But that we need to have music that speaks to the heart of people, to have traditional music, and music with lyrics that make sense. Because sometimes, if you look at the lyrics of what is sung at the Mass, what is sung in the liturgy, is um, meaningless. It's like something that you'd find in in an ad for mayonnaise, it, it doesn't, have any real, uh, doesn't have any real meaning to it. But the challenge is neither to accept what is uh, not good enough, nor to say, look, we just won't sing because it's so bad, but to foster again a new type of singing. This is what is ahead of us, to bring about a liturgical renewal where music can regain its place. Where music can be this thing that can convert people, that can pierce our heart. We've all had this experience, I'm sure, that sometimes in a liturgy, when you go into church and you hear um, a hymn, when you hear some the organ playing, when you hear some, you know, some real music, it can uh, it can move our heart, and this is uh, something that we need to recover as an element of our liturgy, to recover a music that can speak to our heart, that can help us to enter into the mystery that can help us to meditate on the words of the liturgy and this is why the words that they should either be scriptural or from liturgical sources that this is something very very important or but not when it says scriptural it's not that we have to take the bible and to take a psalm and edit out anything that isn't pc and to make it uh, harmless To make it uh, inoffensive to anybody. Sometimes the psalms have got um, guts in them. And we need need to, to, to understand them. To sing them as they are. You know, capital criminal Babylon. We need to take your children and dash their heads against the stones. Which again is a terrible image. But the church has always understood this to refer to the sins, to the devil. The children of the devil dash their heads against the stone these uh, sins that we have. And so not to be afraid of singing the the real lyrics from the the real words from the scripture or from the traditional hymns that are beautiful. It can bring us again to discover what it is to know Jesus Christ, what it is to entrust our lives to him, what it is to sing. That St. Augustine always talks links singing with loving. That this idea of singing and loving is so important. So I'll I'll finish here. But just to say that we need this grace of being able to sing the liturgy with love. That he who loves is able to sing the true Christian hymn. And this is what we hope each one of us will get. So tomorrow we'll look at numbers 1159 to 1162. God bless.